What is up, everybody? A little pre-podcast intro for you today. We're going to be podcasting with Lydia Smith. She's an amazing hunter, phenomenal artist. She's, she's a hunting guy, just a really, really cool person, really cool story. But that's not all. We're teasing something right now. We're teasing something that's going to hit tomorrow. So if you're listening today, October 24th of 2022, you're going to want to pay attention tomorrow October 25th, 2022, you're going to want to watch uh, uh, our, our, our socials, listen to the 10-minute talk. That's going to detail everything that I'm alluding to right now. You can check the website and uh, maybe make a purchase. Maybe make a purchase benefiting uh, an organization that specializes in conservation. Hopefully, I'm being uh, specific and vague enough at the same time here, but just really cool stuff going on here. And... Uh, yeah, that's it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what is up, everybody? We are sitting down today with special guest Lydia Smith. Now we're going to we're going to cover the mini. The many facets of, of Lydia today, a very interesting, accomplished in, uh, individual. And I guess the, the all-encompassing topic is uh, making a living in the mountains. And I'm sure we're going to you know uh, ebb and flow and go right and left from there, but that's kind of the core of what we're going to talk about today. But Lydia, I mean, hunter, very active on social media, writer with W-R-I-T-E-R and then <laughs> R-I-D-E-R when it comes to like your, your horse racing, things like that. Correct. You've trained a wild Mustang, you hunt solo, and you have just uh, y- your art career. I mean, just is the phenomenal, phenomenal uh, wildlife art. So yeah, super excited to, uh, to chat with you today just about about you, who you are, what you have going on, how you got there. Just, uh, you know, just wrap up your your life in just uh, a nutshell, <laughs> which is probably not the easiest thing to do. But Old. I'll do my best, but I'm definitely excited to be here as well. So yeah, welcome. So to start off, you know, on the hunt side, uh, which is super cool, I always, I always find it interesting to like talk with somebody about how they got into hunting. Cause I think for people who are maybe just getting into hunting, just hearing those stories about a person's path can like help them with their, with right. their hunting journey. Um, and they're all a little bit different. So maybe, you know, talk a little bit how you got interested in the outdoors and, and hunting specifically. Right. So I like, since birth, I think I've just had a very natural uh, passion for outdoors. I've always wanted to go camping or shooting, you know, ride horses, whatever it was. But my family didn't hunt growing up, so I wasn't really surrounded by that. But, you know, watching movies and, like, reading books about the mountain men and Native Americans and everything, I thought it was very, very interesting to me. And I've always just really been very passionate about the wildlife and a big part of that kind of led to uh, conservation. And so I started figuring out kind of like what that meant and, you know, the balance that needed to happen with wild game. And obviously I like meeting, uh, eating meat too. So it was like kind of a win-win. And I think starting at the age 10 is when I like really wanted to start getting into it. I did have a neighbor who hunted and he would always invite me and my brother over to play with his dogs and he had deer mounts uh, in his house and I thought they were so cool. Usually that would scare a little girl, but I thought they were very interesting. Right. And, um, I always asked him about it and he's like, oh yeah, like, you know, the whole hunting spiel is like, oh, well you should take me, you know, like I asked him and my dad all the time, you should take me for my birthday because my birthday is October 13th, which is like in the middle of like, you know, OTC uh, deer season. So 
uh, perfect time, and <laughs> they never did. So at the age of 16, I eventually saved up enough money to do my online hunter's ed course and then do uh, field day classes. And so I had my mom drop me off. I'd do all that. And then once I got my permit for hunting, I didn't really know what to do. So that kind of sat in my room for about two more years before I finally got my uh, hunting license and a deer tag. And so that's like the first moment I actually stepped out and hunted something. But I've always like felt very ready for it and very excited about it. And that was very a, uh, a very big learning curve for me. Obviously, I did not know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> my body was not conditioned for it. It was a very hard hunt. Um, I did end up harvesting a deer <laughs> right off the road about 300 yards. <laughs> it was lovely. It was like the last day of the season. I was like, I'm going to take what I can get. And I just remember, I think that was the first time I had mule deer venison. And it was amazing. And I loved it. And I'm like, well, this is just amazing. Like, I love everything about it. I love, you know, the challenge that uh, it came with. Like, it pushed me to do things that I haven't done before. And it was a very physical, mental, you know, emotional experience that was very rewarding. And it was like very uh, addicting. It's like, just kind of naturally, like, that's what I felt like I was meant to do. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like it was something that, you know, just kind of like an an inner fire. Mm -hmm. I mean, because particularly like at that age, like that takes a lot of initiative without, you know, like a, you know, a quotation mark, strong hunting mentor, family member. I mean, you did a lot of that on your own. Yeah. What, like what for you for, you know, maybe for a person who is like in a similar position, like what would, what would you tell them? Like, what were some of the obstacles or like the challenges that, that you kind of had to overcome there? And then, you know, what would you tell a person, you know, like if they're trying to do the same thing? Um, so I know a lot of it like came with learning to take the initiative because a lot of people like kind of wait for somebody to like, you know, kind of help their hand into the door or whatever. And so for me, I didn't have anyone who really helped me with that. And so it was a lot of just taking the initiative and doing my research on what I needed to do to get to that point. And so I'd get on you know, Google, and it's just like Idaho hunting, whatever, because I didn't know about fishing game or anything, you know, and luckily that's what typing in like Idaho hunting or whatever, because that's where I'm from, led me to the Idaho fishing game website. And then luckily my dad actually had a fishing game officer work for him uh, with his company. And he helped me a lot, like telling me, you know, what to do, uh, where to go to get like my permit and everything. And back then you had to take like an eight hour online course. Now you don't have to do that where I live anymore. And that was a very long thing for me, <laughs> right. but I got it done. Cause I was like, really wanted, you know, just to do it. And so like, I spent my own time, um, you know, uh, getting that figured out. And then as well as getting to the point of going to the field day and getting my hunting permit. And after that, like, I'm pretty stumped because actually getting out and hunting is a lot different than just getting your permit. And so I grew up shooting guns, so I was very familiar with guns and rifles. That wasn't my issue. It was more so, where do I find the deer? Like, where do I even start? And that's a pretty big deal. I'm I'm still trying to figure that out, actually. So Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I, like, get really passionate about something, I will do what I can to figure that out, like learn everything I can about it. So like Google is a great resource for me. Like it's where I've learned a ton of my stuff. Like I didn't grow up watching hunting videos or anything. I did not know anything. And Google was a good help. It kind of like 
showed me like this so i got on my idaho fishing game website i saw the units zones kind of like population of deer numbers in each zone whatever um, but i also grew up going camping a lot and going outdoors so i kind of knew where some deer were mm -hmm. and i was like well i'm gonna start in this place because i remember seeing deer there but now i got to figure out what's public land and what's private land and so luckily I did have a friend who helped me like, oh yeah, we can go up here. This is National Forest. I'm like, okay, cool, great. And so we'd go up there and we'd go hiking and we just started hiking and it was awful. We did way more hiking that was <laughs> like way more hiking than necessary. I wasn't really like big into like the glassing yet, you know, all of this stuff. And so, but I think for me, like if I were to tell somebody who's kind of, who was in that situation as I was in, it's like, you just need to take that initiative and you need to work for it, do that research if you don't have anyone there to help you. Because that's kind of like where I started. I literally didn't have any help until I like, you know, later in my hunting experience. But it was a really big learning curve for me. I really appreciate that I went through it because now with everything else I do, like I take that initiative. But I think that's a really big part. People just get a little bit stumped and they kind of quit mm -hmm. instead of really pushing themselves to figure out what they need to do to get something done. And um, I think that's a pretty big part of what I would tell somebody and then just doing your research and you can ask locals you know like farmers just like hey like where do you know do you know where the deer are like could I maybe hunt your property like things like that just to get a start you know your foot in the door so yeah along the lines of that that's probably kind of what I would like um point them toward yeah I mean that your path was probably one of the more challenging ones, like, hey, I don't really have somebody to show me the ropes here, but I want to do it. And like you said, you took all that initiative. Do you, like, I'd imagine in some ways, like, you'd learn more, like, mm -hmm. going through that process, or, or at least, you know, definitely have a lot of, you know, be able to take a lot of pride in what you are learning. And it's, uh, I'm speculating here, but, you know, you definitely are paving your own way, and maybe it's a little bit of a longer road to success even though it sounds like you found some success like your first year but <laughs> with a lot of hard work but right. um you definitely did it did it the hard way which is which is cool you know and, and again like I said for for a young person that's you know uh, for, for really anybody I mean yeah. any, anytime you get into something new like it's super intimidating and then Very. you know you're talking about the regulations like any uh big game hunting pamphlet like I don't really care what state it is I, it, I mean, you can be very well versed in right. big game hunting and big game regulations, and it, that's another intimidating thing because like you, you don't want to you don't want to break the law, but there's a lot of rules. So you know, digesting all that information and boiling it down to like right. the parts that pertain to you is uh, you know can be can be challenging. Yeah, very much so. And you know, you do learn a lot of that through Hunter's Ed and like your courses. But even then, there's a lot of things that you might forget or it might not cover, you know, like with um, daylight hours, um, age groups, like, you know, like only certain age can shoot, like in Idaho, um, you have to be 18 and under to shoot a doe OTC. And so a lot of people don't know that. And so luckily it happened right before my birthday and all these things. So there's just a lot more that goes into it than you do, like that you'd like realize. And so doing the research is such an important part especially because if you mess up, you could literally go to jail if it's like that bad. Right. Um, and Nobody likes that. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I'm not going back. <laughs> exactly. And so it's like a pretty big deal. And like I've made mistakes that I didn't know. Like there's a lot of like winter closures. There's like all these things that like you don't 
know about until you either make the mistake or you figure it out by doing research. And I've definitely like, you know, made mistakes that I I didn't know about and and all these things. And, you know, you learn from it and you don't do it again, obviously, but all this stuff. But yeah, it is very intimidating, like not coming from a hunting family or really anyone to really help you or guide you through that like Mm -hmm. learning process. So, and it sounds like, you know, you kind of started off solo and that's translated a little bit even to how you hunt a fair amount now. So maybe talk through like what that's like, you know, hunting solo on kind of like, you know, an even grander scale. Like it's, it's no longer like, oh, I'm hunting solo on a day trip. It's no, I'm going to pack back in here with either just, you know, uh, my backpack or mm-hmm. potentially with horses. You know, we talked about you uh, being, um, having a big interest and passion for horses. So like how, like what's that like now and what types of things are you doing in that regard? So uh, the solo thing, I personally have been like a very independent person growing up. So like that part of it wasn't very hard for me, Mm -hmm. like being able to go out and do something on my own. Um, I was very much kind of a black sheep in my family, as in what I loved to do was very different from the rest of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just kind of learned to do things on my own and I was okay with it. So uh, with the hunting aspect, I think the year after I got, so the year I started hunting, the year after that and years prior, there were definitely some hunts I'd go with people on, but there's a lot of hunts where I didn't because I didn't really have people to go with. And my first solo hunt that I think I ever did was my pronghorn hunt four or five years ago. I think it would have been five five seasons ago this year. And I think I hunted with um, actually Rocky Jacobson for the first like couple days and we sat in a blind and I hated it. It was very hot and sweating <laughs> to death. And he had to leave and I stayed and... Um, set up camp and I did spot and stocking and that's kind of like where I started my pronghorn journey and I learned so much that season like I mean I would even like you know google's my best friend it's like you know what their behaviors were and I'd like study them myself and I probably made over 40 stocks that year it was ridiculous and the day I lucked out and killed my buck I had already walked 10 miles in the heat absolutely horrible but that's just kind of a normal thing now like with pronghorn hunting it's (laughs) pretty funny I was able to get a really awesome opportunity and I shot this buck um, solo and that was probably like that at that time was my biggest accomplishment ever. Like obviously I was crying, you know, typical, but (laughs) (laughs) I do the same thing. Yeah. It's, it was very emotional and it's just so much work like in like the accomplishment, the accomplishment of knowing you did that yourself is something that's so rewarding. And I think for me personally, it's just like, this challenge that you're not really going to get anywhere else because it's solely you. Like any mistake you make is on you. Mm -hmm. No one else, like all these things. And I think your reward is just even greater. I mean, I love uh, sharing a hunt with someone, but I equally love solo hunting. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, they're both super important. Mm -hmm. uh, And you're just getting a different set of things out of them at times. I mean, even, you know, if you're hunting together with somebody, like it's definitely rewarding. Like if you guys find success together and Mm -hmm. and there's the teamwork and the camaraderie and being able to share that with somebody and be like, Oh, it was so awesome. I can't, you know, you kind of have that more immediate or, or that shared experience. But when you're solo, like it's like, like you said, every, every decision is up to you and there's definitely like a big amount of freedom that comes with it. Just the decision-making you can make decisions fast. You're like, well, right, wrong. Otherwise it's on me. And you, and you don't have that pressure of like, well, if I, this is what I think we should do, but I don't want to screw it up, you know, for this person. Right. And actually for, for new hunters, I feel like sometimes, well, no, one thing that I, well, 
I guess like focus group of one. One thing that I would tell a new hunter that I was hunting with is like, don't worry about screwing it up. Like you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like I screw things up all the time. So I guess where I'm going with that is like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure. People don't want to screw that up for somebody else. Um, but yeah, don't, don't put that on yourself though. Right. Right. I also feel like too, like solo hunting, like being able to accomplish something like that by yourself is really like self uh, fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Um, very, very cool to have. But the same thing with, like, making mistakes or, like, screwing up. I actually, like, obviously in the moment, it really sucks when you screw up on a hunt or something. But I feel like those are your biggest learning moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what makes you a better hunter. And so I don't necessarily want mistakes to happen. But I will take them in the best way I can to, like, increase my skill as a hunter to become better. Yep. Um, and so when I'm hunting with somebody else and that happens... Like, obviously, it's really hard, like, if it was that person's fault not to get mad at them and, like, all these things. But, like, you can actually still take that and learn from it, even though there's, you know, somebody else's fault. It's like, well, what could I have done differently? Maybe I could have told them to, like, you know, be quiet, like, a little more quiet or, like, told them to stay over here. Like, I just feel like anything that you do go through is a learning experience, whether or not you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people get into their heads and something I would tell people is not to get discouraged at all when you're hunting because that makes the situation so much worse. Um, I have never had a good outcome where I've gotten discouraged mm-hmm. and my energy has been very negative. Um, and I think that is actually a pretty big thing. I know a lot of hunters who have given up on their hunts because of it. And, you know, that's that, you know, you eat your tag and yep. whatever. So, yeah, I mean, that, and it's like, it's easy to get discouraged, Very. or it can be, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've been there where it's like, oh man, it's a long hunt, and, like you're <laughs> grinding it out, you haven't seen anything, and then, or maybe then you finally do see something, and then you, you blow the opportunity, you're like, oh my gosh, this is like day five, I haven't seen oh, a yeah. thing, and now I've blown it, you're like, so like, oh, I've got, you know, one more day to hunt, or whatever, like, you know, it's tough to keep your head in the game, <laughs> you know, or you're just not seeing anything at all and and it's tough to keep your head in right. the game because you're kind of get lulled into this just like yeah like you know you kind of feel like it's just never gonna happen like it's not in the cards but man like it can happen like it you does know, yeah you, eventually you'll have a hunt where you are reminded that like it can't happen at any time like I was oh saying, man yep you know the fir- it could happen in the first 30 seconds or the last 30 seconds so you don't I'm, know oh well, yeah I've had like all sorts of like kind of hunts like that. Like I went one September where I took two showers the whole month of September and I literally did not have one opportunity till the like second to last day. And I was still not very like, <laughs> like I learned from this big time, but I had the perfect opportunity, a beautiful, like, you know, 290 class bowl, just a satellite bowl, freaking beautiful, like, you know, huffing and puffing come right into me. And I screwed it up because I didn't think to stop him. And so, and I ruined my chance and it was gone and it was hard. Like I took it like pretty hardly. Like it was just, uh, it was a horrible moment at the time, but I learned from it. And, you know, I've been able to kill uh, bulls since then because I learned, you know, to stop the bull or like, you know, wait for this moment instead of, you know, just shooting like things like that. And so, um, it can get very discouraging, but you gotta just keep going especially with pronghorn hunting that is one thing i love so much about it it's a very mental game Mm -hmm. because you're seeing them all day you can make multiple stocks on pronghorn a day but you know pushing through the heat and the belly crawling and messing up stock after stock it gets very tiring and most of my seasons go on with making a ton of stocks before i ever get opportunity Mm -hmm. or i might get an opportunity and something screws it up like two years ago i think i was 50 yards 
within a bedded buck in his nose and was just about to draw back on him. And some guy in a truck decided to floor his his uh, diesel truck engine and it just freaking whoa and the deer or that pronghorn got up and took off and I was like lovely that wasn't <laughs> even my fault but <laughs> you know stuff like that's gonna happen and you just gotta gotta keep positive you got, so. yeah you get I mean you gotta roll with it I mean like you said hunting is a dynamic fluid thing and some things you have control over but and some you don't <laughs> yeah a lot of things a lot of things you don't which is why you know why it's so amazing that's right the challenge so Super cool, super cool. So what about, like, what would you tell somebody about, like, overcoming, like, the mental hunting solo, like, being by yourself, you know, I mean, that can be pretty intimidating as well. I do think it does take a certain amount of independence and confidence in Mm -hmm. yourself, because there's some people who just, like, don't have that, and, you know, they're okay not going solo, which is fine, but a lot of people who want to, like, get to that point, and they're a little nervous, too, is usually because they don't know enough things about going solo. Mm-hmm. And so, like, for me, I always take a handgun with me just for my own personal protection, especially for women, you know, that's just kind of a thing you should do. But also, like, you know, learning, like, getting your food ready, your tent, like, you know, letting people know where you are, like, all of these things. And doing it by yourself is a lot more work, and it's a little more scary for somebody who might be um, not used to it or, you know, wants to get into it, just not really sure how. And so... I guess I would just say, like, do your planning, because that's a very, very important thing about going solo, because if something happens, you want to have other people to, you know, like, be like, oh, well, they're not here today when they're supposed to be, so we need to go out and, you know, find them or whatever. Um, You just need to take those extra precautions. Take more than less, aka, like, your food, your gear. Maybe you're going to have a storm you don't know about, and all your gear's uh, wet and don't have any extras like you know take extra and all of this stuff um, and you'll definitely like learn the more you go out and I think the more you go out the more confident you're gonna get so I guess like just start just go out and start make sure you have you know good planning take those precautions and just go for it because that's how you're gonna learn mm-hmm. you can't just sit at home and try to gain the confidence like you need to go out and do it so it's a lot of pushing yourself beyond that mental barrier Mm -hmm. and then a lot of people have a hard time doing that but people's minds are a lot stronger than they realize and they just really need to dig in there and realize that they can go out and do it if they're if they're passionate enough about it so Mm -hmm. would you say like start small and like do like do like a day trip or something like that where you're not doing some you know seven day backpack hunt yes so that is a thing i would not start with a big long trip like maybe an overnight or even or maybe a two day just like start really small so like my first like bigger solo trip where i left my vehicle was i think three years ago or four years ago i took my horse with me i parked uh on blm land and i rode in with him And I literally just took a tiny little single person tent. I took some, you know, freeze dried food. Um, I went back in there. I literally had a 200 foot line uh, that I tied around some trees, left my horse there and I went hunting. And (laughs) thank goodness he's a great horse. But (laughs) that was like my first like big solo, not from my vehicle hunt. Mm -hmm. And that was a three day hunt. And it was awful. It rained and snowed the whole time. I did not have extra pair of boots and they were soaked. I did have extra socks, but that didn't help because my boots were so wet. Right. Um, <laughs> but it was a really awesome learning experience as well. I just like definitely start small with like a fewer days. But the more you're going to go out and do that, the more you're going to learn. And I think the more you're going to feel confident about, you know, 
going out longer and learning more things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and one thing with that too, and and really this is probably every hunt, but like like you may not get heck, you probably won't get one. Like not to not to be negative, right? Yeah. But like you know odds are oftentimes like you got to grunt like you said you were like hunting for thir- like 30 days in yeah, September ish right <laughs> yep and like got one opportunity and you know unfortunately uh, it will haunt you for the rest of your life like all <laughs> the similar opportunities but uh, man I swear I swear you like those not because they like aggravate you but you just you remember those ones and I think it's because yep. those are those hard won lessons right very hard lesson yep but uh anyway with that though just be cognizant of like the amazing wins that you are getting that day. Right. Like, it's not about exactly. that, oh, I got one. It's like, oh, I spent the day by myself and I was able to do that today. Like, that's a win, right? Yeah. Like, I had wet feet for three days and I, you know what? I, I, I gutted it out and I'm proud of that. And it was and, fine. And my feet are still attached, you know? So, yeah, I think I think we have to remind ourselves, and yeah. it's hard, right? Because you it have this, this end thing inside or this goal or, or a way you picture it. But, man, there's so many wins that you can, you know, put in the old check plus pile well it's like they say you know like hunting is 99 percent. you know just being outdoors one percent killing like and that's like a big thing is like i don't look at my like obviously want to harvest an animal you know that's filling our freezer and everything but i look at all the other things that come with the hunt you know the challenge the things you get to see like Mm. experience like i've seen some incredible things that like you would only see on national geographic or even that like Mm -hmm. It's it's really amazing, and I think that's, like, why I'm so, like, addicted to it as well, because there's just so much out there. But, yeah, you got to just stay positive and look at the good things about it, and I've definitely learned to do that as well, because, like, starting out, like, I'd look at the negatives, and, like, that's just not the way to go about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just definitely look at those little things and stay positive, and, you know, like, th- I think that energy will come back to you, and you get your opportunity. So, yep. I mean... Yeah, the things you get to see, I I try, and I'm guilty of probably like a lot of hunters because you are just like, you're so focused, you right. know, and, and sometimes it can be difficult to like pull yourself mm-hmm. back and be like, oh, I really need to appreciate what's going on around me. But I, mean, I feel like it's written to like, oh, why I hunt podcast, but I think it's something that hunters are so passionate about, but you will see things and you're like, man, like really, really few people will ever yeah. see anything like that in their lifetime. And they're very special, very awesome things. Even when we were chatting about whitetail hunting earlier, I was like, and I, I'd almost forgotten. I'm like, oh man, like I saw that this, you know, <laughs> this insanely. Like I had these two does and a small buck. I was gonna tell the story, and I'm gonna tell the story. Getting into story time. <laughs> Wa- like walk like right by me, super close. I was rifle hunting from on the ground, and like I, I was in all this tall grass. This, this was in Wisconsin. And all the grass just had this, like, crazy frost all around it. And as these deer are walking by, I can see the breath coming out of their mouths. And they're getting backlit by a rising sun. Oh and I'm gosh. and they're, like, five yards away. And I'm like, dude, who gets to see this? Oh, Nobody. so beautiful. I can just see it in my head. Oh, it was, like, to this gorgeous. day, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is, like, that was, like, one of those. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll remember that one. Like, it, it was awesome. So, oh, that's amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit. Let's transition. I don't want, I want to talk about hunting all day as as per usual. Let's talk about your art because you're a phenomenal, phenomenal artist. So maybe like, how did you, have you always been into art? Is that something that developed later in life? Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah. No, I've been drawing since I was very little. So (laughs) my mom called me the seek and destroy child when I was a toddler because I like to go and you know, just try things, like, see how things worked, and, and so, 
I got into a lot of things, whatever. And the day she finally gave me a pen and pencil, like all of that stopped and all of my creative energy went into drawing. Wow. And so, yeah, I've been drawing since I was very little. Maybe, I don't even know, just very young. And that's literally what I've done since I was yeah young. And so I grew up drawing mainly horses because I was definitely, you know, that little horse girl. Mm-hmm. Um, my family didn't have horses, but my aunt did. And I would take any opportunity I could to go over and ride her horses with my cousins. So I just focused on drawing lots of horses. And then um, once I started getting a little older and learned more about hunting, it kind of transitioned into more wildlife. And uh, I think that really broadened my skill in art as well. It just like really opened up a lot of doors for me. And I'm, I'm very passionate about it. You know, the elk and the deer and like my favorite thing to draw is elk. It's like my main number one subject and I love it. Um, but yeah, I've been drawing for a very long time and luckily I've been able to make it, you know, my full-time job, which is a super awesome thing to have, especially, you know, being so passionate about hunting as well. I get to choose when I get to go out and like all these things. And so it's been very, very rewarding. Um, and I feel very like lucky and fortunate to be able to have that as my job, you know, and be able to like pick my own schedule for like anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How has hunting like influenced your art do you draw a lot of inspiration for your art from your hunts yeah I have so like we were talking about earlier just like being able to see the things we see that has definitely inspired a lot of my drawings I also have a very like photographic mind and like I'll see an image in my head and I'll put a you know a sketch on a paper and it might be a little sketch and I might make it bigger later but I want to get that image out of my mind onto this piece of paper and so it has really kind of, oh my gosh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, basically, I guess just like the whole wildlife um, part has just like really just expanded, I guess, my whole like artist area, I guess. I don't really know how mm-hmm. to put that. But yeah, like I uh, have drawn lots of photos of like either hunts that I've been on where I've actually guided somebody and they killed an animal and they're like, can you recreate the moment oh, wow. before he killed my animal? And I'm like, most definitely. And I've done that a few times, which I've really, really loved. I've, you know, done commissions for somebody and like, I just want a mule deer. It's like, okay, well, um, I had this one commission. They wanted some mule deer. And I was like, I had a hunt um, in Salmon, Idaho, where it was the archery in December, archery hunt in December. Mm-hmm. And I shot a doe and where I shot her and where she like, died at was beautiful like it was just on this really steep face and you can see the mountains in the background with the pines and so I used that and I put her in there with a really really pretty buck and that was like kind of one of those drawings I used from an experience I had or you know like a really cool elk experience where there's bulls just coming in screaming through the trees you know like I just love to draw that kind of stuff and whatnot and I'm still like trying to like work on broadening what I draw but that's very much a very big subject yeah so, and you've, like, you've had some, like, so it sounds like you're doing, like, um, pieces for, like, clients that you've guided, which we'll probably get into that a little bit <laughs> also as well, but, uh, and then, like, some heavy hitter, like, clients in, in like, the outdoor industry. Right. So, like, what, like, you're working on a couple pieces right now, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, literally, they just kind of, <laughs> like, I'll ask them, what do you want? And they're like, oh, we want you to have free reign. And it's like, okay, well, just give me a little bit of something. Right. And they're like, okay, well, we want elk. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> 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 or sometimes um, they'll be like, well, this is like where our company is based out of and we have this mountain. Like, could you incorporate that? I'm like, of course. And so, you know, I'm doing one right now where I'm incorporating a mountain that they can see out their window and it's going to have a herd of elk, you know, in the foreground and that mountain in the background. 
So I really do love to like incorporate like real life into my drawings, whether that's a place or an actual animal that somebody harvested. I I really love doing that. Is there a particular median median that you like do like all the time, like or do you like paint and you know sketch or what do you do there? So I've done just about everything, but my like my main medium is graphite, pencil, mm-hmm. and charcoal. Um, and then second to that is probably ink. So pen and ink. And okay. I do pastel as well and colored pencil, but, and a little bit of paint. And I would like to get more into paint. It's just a lot more time consuming and expensive. But right now it's definitely my graphite and that's what most of my big pieces are and like what my commission pieces are. Mm-hmm. We'll probably, we'll probably, uh, we'll recap this at the end, but if like a person wanted to check your art out, like where would be a good place to do that? Um, definitely just my website, LydiaSmithArt.com. Pretty simple, you know, straightforward. And it has like contact information as well as like drawings I have done. So cool. Well, while you're listening, you can Google this and be like, oh, I'm going to listen and uh, be visually stimulated. So very cool. Anything uh, anything on, on the horizon uh, with your art? Any big projects coming up that you're excited about? Yep. I have a few that I probably won't disclose who they're who they are uh, for, um, just because I don't know what their plan is with it. Mm -hmm. But I have two that are pretty big that I have a time cap on, so that's going to be really fun. (laughs) And then I have another one that's actually for a local company of mine that I'm sponsored with. It's uh, Shank Knives Mm -hmm. out of Idaho Falls. Um, So I'm doing one with them as well. And that one's going to be really fun. So Awesome. Well, So you, you touched on this a little bit earlier. So you're also a hunting guide at times. Mm-hmm. So how did, how did you get into that? So going back to like, I really love doing things like on my own. I hate retail jobs. I hate any job where you have to sit down and, you <laughs> know, do whatever you're inside. And so I was like, I really want to go guide. And this was right before I got into hunting. I looked on Craigslist and there was a uh, opening for a Wrangler in Stanley for an outfitter. And I'm good with horses and I was like, that sounds like a blast. I'm going to try it. And he accepted my application and I went out. Yeah. So I think I was 18 and I went out and I took my horse and I left. um, I stayed in Stanley for two and a half, three months and I lived out there and that was an awesome experience. I learned a ton about packing and just, you know, like guiding really big rides and like all these things. And that's like where my guiding started was with summer trips um, on horseback after that, it's like, I want to keep doing this. And so I did that again in West Yellowstone. And then I went into hunting and my first guiding job was in Utah. Um, and that was very fun, an absolute blast. I've got it in New Mexico. And I think next year I'm going to start guiding privately in my home state of Idaho. So I absolutely love it because I'm still hunting. I may not be the one killing, but I'm getting, you know, to help people find animals and get to share that experience with them. And a lot of them are first time hunters of certain animals. And I just love sharing that with them. I just think it's such a cool experience. I just, yeah, I just really love it. No, that's super cool. And and really, like you said, what a way to extend your season. Like if you want to be outside and you want to be hunting, you know, in your home state, you might get, you know, one or two tags a year. Then you're like, oh, well, where am I going to go? Out of state, out of state, out of state. Like, you you know, I mean, which I'm sure you'll still do those things, but you definitely (laughs) get to uh, increase the volume of in-state hunting that you'll get to do. And also furthering your knowledge. So Mm -hmm. continuing to learn through the season, which is really awesome. Yeah, it's it's super cool. It's you know part time um, after my art my art job. So awesome. 
So, yeah, so you got into guiding via horses. You got, uh, or horses were your, your first, I guess, or, or one of your first subjects in, in your art career. What about, it sounds like there's a little bit of an interesting story with the horse that you have now. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like, hey, I went to the horse store and got <laughs> one. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool thing. I've, al- I've always kind of been fascinated with Mustangs. You know, it's a very uh, controversial topic, you know, like all these things. And I understand both sides of it very well. Um, Anyways, I think I was 17 at this point and there was an extreme Mustang makeover that was happening in Idaho. And what that is. Move that horse. (laughs) Oh, wait, no. Wrong. Okay. (laughs) Um, um, Anyway, so what that is, is uh, you uh, put in an application and if you get accepted, they give you a random Mustang that comes off HMAs, which is a herd management area. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get assigned this horse and you have 90 days to train it. And then you go and compete with other trainers in their Mustangs they were assigned. And in the adult division, the whole purpose of this uh, program is to get these horses to get adop- to be adopted. Mm-hmm. And so at the end, they go for auction. But the youth division, I was still young enough to be in that one. You could get the chance... Uh, or the option to keep your horse. Oh, wow. Or you can have, you know, auction it and they can go to a different owner. And I was like, Mom, like, <laughs> <laughs> listen, <laughs> I had one horse at the time, uh, but I was like, this is an amazing opportunity that I would love to try. I've always been very into like working with horses and training them. And I just, I just really, really wanted this experience. And so she's like, yeah, go for it. I'm like, awesome. And I put in my application and I got accepted as a trainer. And I went and picked up my horse from the Boise Wild Horse Facility and a completely random draw. He was a really, really pretty sorrel gelding. I had 90 days to train him. And I went to Nampa and competed with him and we placed third. And he was the first horse that I trained from the ground up mm-hmm. with no human um, contact except for being squeezed into shoots and like getting branded and wormed and stuff. But he, yeah, he's a incredible horse that I got to train. I learned so much with him. Um, he's a horse that I took uh, elk hunting with me. I've gone on numerous uh, backcountry trips with him, horse rides, like cattle drives, you name it. Like he's a really cool horse and he really showed kind of like what these Mustangs were capable of. So I just like fell in love with it and he's literally a one in a million horse and I got super lucky. He's beautiful for a Mustang. He's tall for a Mustang. I just lucked out big time. But yeah, I actually would like to eventually uh, start training part-time as well uh, once I get a facility for it, but I don't really have that right now. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like with, you know, just the little that you have going on, you could use a few more things to, you know, yeah. fill your downtime. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you said, so, and just cause I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a horse smith. Uh, <laughs> what, so you said it was a, what kind of gilding then, or it was. So gelding just means he's been castrated. So, okay. um, a non-castrated horse would be called a stallion. Okay. So, yep. And then, does he have like specific, specific, he's not from the Pacific, <laughs> uh, uh, like uh, coloring to him or something like that? Or Yeah, so a sorrel is just like a red-based horse. They kind of have like a reddish-brown color. Um, they can have kind of different tones of mane. He actually had a very flaxen mane and tail, which is blonde when I got him. And hmm. at the age of three, it totally changed on me. Now it's almost black. It's very interesting. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I don't see that very, you don't see that very often in horses. Um, so that's kind of weird. But he's just a solid sorrel with a little like white marking, which you call a star right on his forehead. Mm-hmm. He's just a very pretty well-built Spanish looking horse. And 
I mean, non-horse people probably don't really know what that means, but um, Spanish looking, it just means he looks like horses bred from Spain or okay. like, kind of like Spanish bred. Kind mm-hmm. of, yeah. And so That's like, <laughs> what's, so the, the WMA that, that he was on, I mean, these are, sen- or the, excuse me, the HMA, sorry. Like these are essentially, I mean, they're, they're, they're wild horses. Yep. Public land just running, ran, yep. Just like yep. wild game. But kind of like feral at this, I mean like. They're feral. Yeah. Yeah. So are they trying to kind of like remove a certain amount of them off the landscape because of like, you know, like you said, I, I know people will fall on either side of yep. like you should or shouldn't be doing right. that. But I think it, it has to do with impact on the landscape to some degree. hundred percent. So um, there's only so much uh, and I can't remember what they call it. I know it's super simple, but it's just not coming to my uh to my like head right now but it's basically the capacity that the land can hold for like oh, feed like the and, and foraging yeah. and, and basically grazing for animals especially with competition between livestock and wild game wild horses just have kind of like the out on that they're the less important ones mm-hmm. and so it's a big deal to go round them up and a lot of people don't agree with that because you know the roundups can be a little much mm-hmm. um like you know stuff's gonna happen horses might get hurt it's not like they're trying to you know you know make it a mess but they're wild horses like right. what can you expect and so a lot of people don't agree with it and think they should uh, stay on the land and i agree with that too you know like they're part of our history mm-hmm. um you know the spaniards coming to america and bringing the horses and that's kind of like how they were introduced and you know the old westerners you know horses escaping and breeding it's just like a part of our history and so mm-hmm. i think it is important to not remove them completely but it's so hard because there's so many areas where they are overpopulated. Right. Nevada has the highest population of uh, Mustangs. That's actually where my horse came from. Oh, okay, cool. So they do what they can. They'll sterilize a lot of females. And uh, I think, yeah, I think they mostly sterilize, sterilize mares, which are the females, and they'll release them back out. And uh, they'll round up what they can. A lot of times they actually have to due to fires or just, you know, the land can't handle it like all of these different things but they definitely get the short end of the stick when it comes to like being out there and whatnot there's a lot of herds that are very malnourished and it's just because there's not enough food mm-hmm. in most places for them yeah i think the way just the way things are set up and the way you know i mean humans i mean we're here yeah. and you know we're here too and the way we interact with the landscapes and the way we um and i guess i'm speaking definitely from like an outside in <laughs> view of this because i'm not you know an expert when it comes to this but you know you look at the you know the model the the north american model of game management and how we do those things and the wildlife you know all wildlife that's on the landscape is is a part of that and you know you can't really say well we're going to do it for all these things but not this one over here. Like yep. it's just it's just not really going to work optimally that way. So and then and it's probably you know it's in the best in my opinion my opinion. But like the best interest for the horses as well when oh, you're talking about herds that are you know malnourished. It's like well would you rather have a healthy healthy population or one that's you know suffering exactly. So. And not only that, but like the holding facilities that are holding these mustangs, it's costing them so much money. The BLM is literally putting so much money into like keeping these horses. Um, and so another like really big topic is like a lot of these horses get sent to slaughter. Oh, eesh, yeah. Yeah, and so obviously I get that I do, but they do their best to be able to get these horses adopted, which is why they started this program. Um, you can also just like go to a facility and buy one for hundred and twenty five dollars if your your uh, facility can uphold like a Mustang. You have to have certain qualifications or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like people need to realize that 
since we're here and there's just not the whole world for them to go wherever they have to be managed same with like the wild game we have to manage wild game and a lot of hunters don't realize that they think we go out, go out shooting them willy-nilly which is completely false mm-hmm. you know we have certain amount of tags that we have quotas like all of these things and it's to keep it balanced and healthy mm-hmm. um so yeah it's like a really big topic in the whole like horse industry but mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty interesting well and then like yours is such a cool story you know, and that you can see like, oh, wow, like, look at this. I, I was able to do this and train this horse and adopt this horse and have it be like a really big part of your life. And you have a connection to that horse. And, that yeah. you know, I truly believe that horse has a connection to you. I mean, you see, um, you just, you can see that in it, with people. I mean, they, they are connected to those animals. Yeah. Like it is a very real, real relationship. Just like your dogs. Yep. yep. So cool, man. No, uh, I dig it. So, yeah, I, I was trying to convince Jim who I co-host the podcast with quite a bit, I was like, hey, we need to go uh, try and uh, be a part of that process and, like, document that process of, you know, getting uh, you know, getting a horse and, and training it. And then we just uh, realized, like, man, that would be uh, – that might be a lot of work. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what uh, – and because you did do it, maybe talk a little bit about, about that process. Like, what – was it different than, you know, the horse? I would assume it was different than, you know, some of the training that you'd done in the mm-hmm. past. Like, I mean, you were literally starting from ground yep. zero. Yep. So um, I actually personally think it's better. And the reason for that is if you buy a horse that's already been kind of like messed around with people, they oftentimes have bad habits from people. And so when you get a Mustang, it's a completely clean slate and you're literally just working with the animal itself. And so for me, I find that very, very fun and exciting, um, being able to gain this animal's trust. And for me, it's a very, like, trust process. Like, I work on his time, not my time. And so with him, like, the first thing I did was just get in that round pen, and I just would sit on the other side of it, you know, maybe have a little bit of hay, and if he wanted to come over, he'd come over, and i just kind of let him hang out. And uh, that first day, I was able to touch him and everything. And oh, wow. And he, he was a very, like, he, he wanted a leader, and horses want leaders. That's how their herd works. Mm-hmm. And so he was looking for a leader. And so he was very willing to want to like know what I was. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very helpful thing. Cause there's a lot of horses out there who don't want to know that and they don't give a crap and <laughs> you're going to have a big fight with them, you know, and it might take a long time and they might finally come around. Um, but each horse is different. And so you just have to kind of breed the animal uh, per se uh, with him. It was very fun training him. Um, he was a very good minded horse. I was able to get on his back within the first week. Oh my gosh. Wow. Mm-hmm. I would have thought it would have taken like <laughs> a lot longer than that. I well, guess. it depends on the horse. I got very lucky with him, but there were definitely some things that he was not very willing to like accept at first, which is really funny. He accepted the saddle before he accepted the saddle pad, which is the blanket that goes underneath it. And you'd think the saddle would be a lot scarier. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like really funny. Horses are quirky. And that was his thing. He just hated it. And it was it was to a point where it could be dangerous, you know, like he would just run and not think about where he was going, which is very dangerous to an animal that's very huge compared to you. And like, are you on the no. horse? At the, okay. Good. No. So I do ground training first, which is where I just train him with me on the ground and him just like watching kind of, I guess, mm-hmm. or just teaching him. And so I think it took me, I don't know, a couple weeks like a week or two for him to finally not freak out or get really nervous about this saddle blanket so it like is the, like you said it's so it's like oh this 
big hard leather thing that's <laughs> super like rigid. Yeah, that, yeah, with straps, that's fine. <laughs> soft, soft, cozy blanket, nah, not so much. I'm gonna, I got a problem with that. I almost wonder, honestly, if it was the color of the pad and kind of the way it looks. So it was like kind of a striped pad and it was uh, red and white. Okay. I think. And I remember putting it in the middle of the round pen and he just ran circles forever and he was just working up a sweat. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I took it out and I like left it on one side of the panel and he just stayed on the other side and he was just like, I'm not going to it. Like he's <laughs> snorting. They like do this thing where they just snort and that means like they're nervous and they just don't want to go up to it. But eventually I worked him through it. Like I'd put it on the panel kind of close to the gate and I'd walk him through the gate and he'd kind of be like really like about it. And I just kept walking him in and out. I'd pet him. It's like, oh, I didn't get you. You know, like you just be patient with them. And they start licking their lips, which is a sign of like relaxing and understanding. Okay. And uh, I just like kind of kept moving it closer and closer to the gate and to the point where he could cross through the gate without being all freaked out about it. And then I'd grab the blanket and I'd hold it to his face once he was good with going through the gate um let him sniff it he'd still be a little weird about it and i'd start petting him with the blanket to show him it's like it's not gonna hurt you all this stuff and you just kind of work through it baby steps and uh the horses like usually will come around to that you just kind of got to do it at their time you don't like i know a lot of people like obviously train horses differently but i don't think forcing something is the best way to especially gain that horse's trust Mm -hmm. which i think is a big uh which I think is a big thing. So he was typically like very easy to gain trust, but like working through certain objects was a little harder. Um, I've worked with other horses who are a lot harder just to gain their trust. Um, I worked with a 10 year old stallion Mustang. So he was uncastrated and usually they're a lot more aggressive and stubborn um, and more dangerous. Luckily he wasn't a very aggressive horse, which was really nice. But, I mean, it took me several weeks to even be able to just touch him because he was just so, like, not interested in people and all these things. And eventually, like, I got to the point where I could just brush his neck and I started braiding his hair, just kind of, like, getting used to me, like, touching him and being around him. But, like, all horses are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I worked with tons of horses guiding, you know, like, working with green horses. And a green horse is a horse that is not very well trained. They're very new. Um, so I've ridden a lot of green horses on trail rides and have a few <laughs> little rodeos along the way. <laughs> it's, it's, I love it, but I mean, every horse is different and you kind of just got to work with how they are. So, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. You know, I've only been, I've been around horses like a handful of times, but yeah, like they all have just their unique personalities and they are quirky. And like when you're like new, like if you've never ridden that horse before, like you kind of, you don't really know (laughs) their quirks. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, any horse that I've probably been on, they either, I was not the leader. (laughs) They made that very clear. Uh, but, uh, they are cool though. They are cool. You know, it's, it's funny you talk about, uh, even like your first uh, and I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before too, cause I thought it was funny or not funny, but I hunted off horses for uh deer with a couple guys and they're like awesome guys and, and they loved horses. And I think, I mean, they were definitely more interested in riding horses than right. hunting deer. <laughs> um, and, uh, so we hunted for like four days and then, uh, basically we got a late start on like the last morning and we were uh, going into camp and we're, and I basically uh, spotted a mule deer like off the road. And like, I was like, dude, I'm, been hunting you know like we hadn't had one opportunity and so like it's just funny that i rode horses for you know two days and you know found a found a buck off the road you know on a piece of public and was able to go after him and get him but that's funny how it happens like that sometimes but i felt like i earned that one i was like it's not like (laughs) it's not like we hadn't hunted hard it wasn't my hardest 
hunt at the end of the day, right. or at least that day. But like you said, it's just it's just funny how it goes down. So very cool, very cool. Anything else? Anything else we should know about you, Lydia? I mean, you've, you're very <laughs> interesting human being, uh, you know. And I know it's probably hard, you know. It's like, oh, here, you know, let's uh, let's make you talk about yourself for you know an hour. But um, I mean. It's kind of like those main three things, honestly, like hunting, horses, and art. It's kind of like really what, like I'm driven uh, behind, I guess, mm-hmm. driven with. So um, I'm sure there's like other little things about me and you know, everyone has their little like, you know, hobbies and, and things they like. But that's kind of the main thing that I kind of live for, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it's absolutely amazing that you've been able to like essentially create a career in the outdoors. Um, really tying all your passions together. So, yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, your independent nature was a big part of leading you to that. So that's um, super cool. Okay. Well, you already covered, I had some I had some questions here. At, oh my gosh. I've got, <laughs> I got like 17 other things that I didn't even cover here. We might have to have another <laughs> podcast with you. We'll do some, we'll do, some, we'll finish up with a couple uh, easy ones. So you already covered your favorite, I was going to ask you what your favorite subject was, but you said that was elk. So, um, th- these are some, uh, hunting questions, maybe more hunting specific. If you had to pick bow or rifle. Bow. Okay. <laughs> Undoubtedly. <laughs> All right. Then we'll choose your adventure on this one. <laughs> fixed blade or expandable? Uh, fixed blade. And oh. I think a really big reasoning for that is because Idaho, you are not legally allowed oh. to use a f- uh, expandable. That is true. That is true. But so. um, I do think also personally, like, I think I do just like the fixed blade because I feel like they're a lot tougher and they're not going to have as many mis- uh, malfunctions if they are to have one. I agree. I agree. Okay. Uh, well, this might be a tough one for you because you hunt so many different things. Favorite day to hunt. If you're going to pick, now you're going to have to pick probably what you're hunting for within, within this question. But Like like a very specific day? I'm, t- I'm talking like <laughs> September 14th. <laughs> uh, September 10th. September, okay, that's a good day. <laughs> um, and then maybe uh, maybe uh, the last one, what's, uh, what's next? I think we maybe covered a little bit of this, but like is there something that you just you haven't taken on yet, but you're like, man, this is what, uh, I got this on the docket. Well, my plan this year was to build a recurve and oh. hunt my elk uh, with that, but that kind of didn't happen. So my plan is to do that same thing next year. And I think that's like my next big thing is to go and try and get a bull with a recurve. Cause I just, I love the challenge and the whole traditional like style, like just really intrigues me. So that's like my next like really big thing that I'm pushing for per se. I mean, I don't really have any like fancy out of state hunts or anything really planned mm-hmm. yet anyways. So. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, I can tell you, so Jim and I built a couple self bows with clay Hayes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess shameless plug. Uh, if you want to check that out, you can check it on the <laughs> Vortex Nation podcast, YouTube page or on uh, any of your preferred podcast platforms, but wild process, like so cool. I mean, clay, like obviously helped us a lot through the process but right. he also gave us a lot of leash like you know jim was like full send i'd be like okay well, what about this and he'd be like well just keep shaving wood you know and i'm like all right well i'll keep shaving wood till you tell me not to you know oh, so but funny. uh the end pro- like it was really amazing you know i'm not like a, a woodworker or anything like that right. I had no experience uh you know you know clay what's this one do uh <laughs> But uh, it was cool, and I'm I'm looking forward to hunting with that, and that'll be awesome. I think it'll be I think it'll be pretty fun. So I think Heck you'll yeah. have a lot of fun with that as well. I think so. So, so. 
Awesome. Well, Lydia, thank you so much for making the time thank to you. join us today. Uh, super fun conversation. Just really excited about everything that you have going on and just seems like uh, really, really, truly cool, unique, fun stuff. And uh, yeah, good on you for making it happen. Well, thank so. you. And that wraps it up for this one, Vortex Nation. So hopefully you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to <laughs> Lydia. If people want to check you out, I know we hit it a little bit before Lydia, but where can they find you? Um, if you want to look at my art, go ahead and search up LydiaSmithArt.com. You can also do that on Instagram, which is Lydia underscore Smith underscore art. And then personal on Instagram is LydiaSmith00. Awesome. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button, give us a review, or leave a comment. We want to hear what you have to say. If you have a question or topic suggestion, let us know that as well via the Vortex Nation podcast YouTube page or any of Vortex's social platforms. That helps us cover exactly what you want to hear so we can provide the best information to help you with your hunting, shooting, and related activities, and ultimately enjoy them to their fullest potential. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.